um, you should do, you should listen to his series on love. So he's got a series on love. I'm preaching on love, killing Cupid. Thought, why not? So I popped it on. What a mistake. <laughs> it was super convicting. Um, it was awful. I've listened uh, to Love's Model, which is the sermon he did on 1 John 4 three times and read it twice, um, just because I needed to hear it. Um, and in my opinion, it's the best um, preaching breakdown of 1 John 4 I'd ever heard. And so tonight I'm going to do something I've only done one other time here at Yak in the seven years I've been here, and that is I'm going to preach someone else's sermon. And the reason that is is because I listened to it, it's exactly what I think you need to hear, and I can't do it much better. So if you're listening to this at home on iTunes, look up Love's Model by Paul David Tripp. It's better. He delivers it better. I've, of course, AJIs to this some, um, but it's so dynamite that I'm like, I talked to Patrick, I'm like, I, I don't want to change anything. It's that good. So let me pray, and, um, and let's dive in. So, Father God, as we looked at the idea that we were created to be in relationship, and tonight we move forward and we ask the question about love. Why do we love? Uh, Why did you give us this emotion and this desire? Um, Lord, may we be reminded where our love comes from. May the things that we believe are love that are so fleeting be cast aside. May Cupid's arrows, may the things that the world say is love vanish. And may we see the cross magnified in your son's name. Amen. So I had a phone conversation. Uh, Before I begin, some of you are chatty Cathy's and you're not girls. Um, So if you need to move, I'm leaving it up to you mature people to move. Okay, so if you need to move, move. Not going to offend me. Okay. So I had a phone conversation with a friend of mine. Um, I needed his advice on an upcoming event, tips on like how much was it going to cost, Who should I contact to really kind of put it together? What speakers should I listen to and talk to? Uh, Just kind of a basic idea of how to move forward with this event. And and so called him. Well, texted him. I set up a phone conversation. I said, hey, I'll call you this time, this day. So I called him up, and uh, he picked up and went, oh, I completely forgot, man. Uh, I've already rescheduled something. I can't talk right now. Can I call you tomorrow? You know me. I'm pretty laid back. Like, it's pretty hard to like frustrate me so i'm like sure um so he calls me the following day okay in the afternoon mid-afternoon told him to call and he proceeds to want to catch up on life which is fine i didn't talk to this guy in a couple years so he wants to catch up on life and i was fine with it for like 10 minutes right and then 15 minutes went by i'm like okay like I texted you because I had questions and ideas and, like, needed advice. And, like, we're not even there in the conversation yet. So I, like, inserted myself, right, into his How Is Life story and finally decided to take over the conversation, get it in the direction I wanted to go. Um, You know, the reason for the call and all, right? And as I hung up, I was immediately convicted. I can't even love my friend 
long enough to listen to the hard things he's going through. I put tasks before people so easily. And it's not that I fail to love my enemies, right? It's that I fail to love the people that I would say that I would love. And so it's important for us to look at the Bible to see what it says about love. I mean, how quickly is it that you grow impatient? How fast does irritation come? How good are you at keeping records of wrongs? How much unforgiveness marks your relationships? How often do you just feel like giving up and calling it quits on love? Well, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 John. It's towards the end of the Bible. 1 John 4. We're going to look at this passage because, in my opinion, and in Paul's opinion, by Paul, not Paul the writer, uh, Paul David Tripp, the author, um, it's the clearest, most practical, most easy to understand breakdown on love in Scripture. If you want to know what love is, turn to 1 John 4. I'll begin reading at verse 7. We're going to read through verse 12 tonight, okay? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, because uh, anyone who does not love, does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God is made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Tonight, I want to look at verses 10 through 12 specifically, which ask the question, what is love? Where do we find a definition of this thing called love? Well, I promise you this, you will not find it on the internet. If you Google love, you will literally find thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of different websites that are selling and defining and breaking down love. And if you try to piece it all together just by even looking at a dozen of these websites, you will walk away utterly confused about what love is. It will be cloudy and foggy. But you don't have to do that. You don't have to go to Mr. Google to find out what love is. In 1 John 4 verse 10, you have the definition of love. If you have your Bibles underlined this verse, it's so good and so rich. In this is love. 
Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Look, you don't find the definition of love in philosophy. You don't find the best definition of love in theology. You won't find the best definition of love in cultural research. Love is most powerfully defined not as an abstract concept, but as an action. The redemptive action of God on our behalf is the best definition of love. Love is best defined by God's initiative to satisfy his own anger by sending of his son. Redemption defines love for us. And the epicenter of that love is God's willingness to offer his son as a sacrifice that would atone for your sins. That's what propitiation means. That would remove the sins that you carry and the burden that you carry due to your sins. That guilt, that shame, um, that justice that should be placed on you by inserting the wrath of God. God removes that. That's the propitiation for sins. He takes our place. The wrath of God is not just forgotten. It's put on His Son. He doesn't just forgive us. Someone pays for our crimes. That's Jesus. Now hear me when I say this because it's scary. And this is your first fill in the blank. Our definition of love must be nothing less than the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been called. You have been chosen to live in cruciform love. Love that forms itself to the shape of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the minute I say those words... My heart is filled with grief because my love falls so far short of the willing sacrifice of Jesus. I wish I could say that everything I did this week, everything I did this last month, including that conversation I had with a friend on the phone, was centered around cross-shaped love and not my own personal desires. And I'm afraid for us that our tendency is to define love as something much less than the action of sacrifice that we see on the cross. Jesus says to you and to me these words, love as I have loved you. That's terrifying. And perhaps our problem is that much of what we would call love is not love at all. It falls short of this calling. Brothers and sisters, this should make you feel very uncomfortable. It should produce in you a neediness. It should produce in you a self-awareness. It should produce in you a hunger for the grace of Jesus. Oh, that we would have a community of this kind of love that loves the way Jesus loves us. That love is a call, is so powerfully depicted in verse 11. Let me read it to you. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
If God loved us in this way, we ought to love one another in this way. And I actually want to spend a little bit of time just unpacking one word in this verse, and that's the word ought. Ought. We ought to know what ought means, right? Now, when you hear the word ought, typically you immediately think of some moral obligation. You ought to do something because it's morally the right thing to do. It's the moral obligation to love. You're commanded by the Lord, by the King, to love. This is the moral obligation. And it's surely there in the passage. You are morally morally obligated to love. But if we leave the word ought there, we miss its power and its genius. This is not just a word of moral obligation. Hear this. This is the next fill in the blank. The word ought is a word of design. The word ought is a word of design. You were created to love. We talked about that a little last week. You were created for relationships. And not just to be into relationship, but to love the other person you are in relationship with. That you were designed to do it. When Christ reduces the human calling down to two commandments, what kind of commandments are they? They're the commands to what? This is your next fill in the blank. Love God above all else and love your neighbor as yourself. When he breaks the ought down, love is central. Well, you say, well, AJ, I'm not sure what you mean. Well, let me give you some illustrations, okay? Birds ought to fly. Honey ought to be sweet. Night ought to be dark. The sun ought to be bright. Fish ought to swim. Things were created into creation for a particular purpose. You don't keep your pet poodle in an aquarium because you know it violates its purpose as a poodle. You won't see your neighbor walking his fish on a leash down the street. If you do, run fast. If he would do that to his pet fish, imagine what it will do to you. (laughs) You see, this call to love gets right at the heart of the reason you were given life and breath. This is what human beings were created to do. We were created to love, and there is something weird and something horrible and something broken when a human being doesn't live in love, when he or she shrinks their life down to what they want, to the confines of our own little agendas. There's something wrong with that, and love defines who you are as a human being. This is next on the blank is on your list. The failure to love is not just a spiritual problem. It's actually a denial of your very humanity. Do you get that? It's not just a spiritual problem when we choose not to love. It's a denial of the very purpose you, in which you were created. Yet I would confess to you, 
as I'm sure many of you would confess to me that there are many times this week where I was a fish on a leash. Living more selfishly than I selfishly than lovingly, so caught up in my own agenda, so absorbed with my own feelings, so propelled by my own desires, I neither sought nor desired love. Why are there so many people in the human culture who are driven and sad and unfulfilled and hopeless, hopeless and lost? Because they're attempting to do something they were never created to do. You were not created to live for you and you alone. That will never be a happy existence. It will never be a fulfilling existence. You think it will, but it will leave you empty because you cannot find fulfillment in denying what you were created to be. It won't happen. The most satisfying, the most glorious, the most lovely, the most fulfilling, the happiest life of deep, abiding contentment is found in a life of love. And when your world tells you that the way to be happy is to prioritize you and be absorbed with you and put you first, your world tells you a horrible lie, a dehumanizing lie. We ought to love. It was what we were created to do. It was what we were recreated in Jesus Christ to have the ability to do. Well, how many times last week were you a fish on a leash? Maybe at school, maybe on a sports team or a band, maybe in a friendship, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe even here, the Church of Jesus, not doing the thing that you were designed to do. Well, we've said that this love is a gruesome form love. It's true love. Shapes itself to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I've thought about this the past few months, I've been impressed with how utterly practical this is. We've talked kind of big ideas, right? So we're going to move to some of the micro. AJ, what would scripture have me do as I love my brothers and my sisters, my friends and my enemies? What can we take? Here's the first thing. The first thing, to fill in the blank. The first thing is love requires perseverant commitment. Love requires perseverant commitment. C-O-M-M-I-T-M-E-N-T. Immediately upon the rebellion of Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, God sets himself to the course of love that would redeem rebels such as Adam and Eve and you and me. And that commitment and perseverant commitment that was the basis of writing of thousands of years of history that were written so that Jesus Christ would come just at the right moment and live and die and rise again and provide for our forgiveness and acceptance. Love requires commitment. You always... You, I can promise you, especially after you have children, you always won't wake up in the morning and be determined to love today. But it requires a commitment. You always won't be around loving people. It requires a commitment. And that's why love is the first thing here. It starts with a commitment. I want to do this thing that I've been created to do. And I'll wake up in the morning and I'm going to look for opportunities to love as I have been called to love. you got to remind yourself of that. And for some of you, it's, it literally, you have to remind yourself of that every morning. I'm going to commit to it. 
because I ought to, not because it's just a moral obligation, because it's what I'm designed to do. It's what makes me the most fully human. Second, love is willing. Love is willing. It's not that I just carry this weight of obligation and say, okay, God, God called me to love, so I'm going to go love. Imagine me sitting next to Corey on the couch and saying, okay, Corey, well, um, God tells me that I'm supposed to, so I love you. Super romantic, right? She's going to sit there thinking, I don't think this is love. True love always comes out of a willing heart, a heart that finds joy in the communication and the expression of love. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I love because there's joy in my heart to think that I have chosen to be part of this grand and glorious kingdom to love of love. I think, how did this ever happen to me? And how could it be me that I would be so privileged as an instrument of the love of God? What a beautiful thing. And that joy fills my heart. And so I love. Some of you was talking to some of the group last week. You're, you're missing joy. You're like, I don't know where to get my joy from. Spend more time in the word. If you understand that God before the creation of the universe said that you are important to me. And I'm going to put this story into place where I'm going to use you as a beautiful instrument. As I've handed the baton onto you on this journey called history, his story. Then you see that you are beautifully involved in this tapestry called the world. And you've been designed to do just what we're talking about tonight, which is to love. Understand how much Christ loves you as you dive into the world. Word. Understand how much Christ shouldn't love you as you dive into the word. There's no reason, right? We deserve his wrath. But he says, know your mind. So for those that are missing joy, find it in his word. Find it with his people. Be reminded of who you are in Jesus. Third, love requires self-sacrifice. We touched on this a little last week. Maybe one of our mistakes is we're shopping for love that's comfortable. We're shopping for love that's comfortable. That we can fit into our schedules, that doesn't challenge our finances, that doesn't talk to us uncomfortable, take us across uncomfortable cultural borders. We want love to not require sacrifice, and that love is not love. It's almost hard in a couple moments to characterize the magnitude of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think of little pieces of that. That perfect Messiah would be mocked by the people who at that moment he was giving his life and breath to. What love? I think of the trickles of blood falling down his face as the crown of thorns is jammed onto his head. What love? I think of the nails being driven into his hands and feet as he was still alive. Perfect Jesus. What love? I think of him hanging on the cross and his father turning his back on him. 
Jesus saw the back of his father's head. Shocking thing. What love. I think of him after the tomb, finding his disciples more concerned about their own safety than the kingdom of God at that point. What love. I think of him looking at his church, often divided, often broken, and yet not turning back. Loving us every moment of our existence, although we could never earn it. What love. Love requires sacrifice. Fourth, love loves the undeserving. Love loves the undeserving. The shocking thing about the cross is Jesus wasn't dying for his friends. He died for his enemies. He died for rebels against his lordship and kingship. For people who were too arrogant to confess the need for his grace. That's why I love that third song we sang tonight, right? I was an orphan lost at the fall, running away when I heard your call. That whole song talks about how we were dead, how we didn't want anything to do with Christ. But most of us come to church believing, he would have chosen me, I'm good enough. We don't think of ourselves as undeserving. We have, t- we have too high self-confidence. Listen, I think I want to be surrounded by people who are easy to love. And I promise you. I mean, me and Corey pray for that, right? Lord, may this third child be easy. Please, we just want one quiet kid that sits in the corner and reads books. <laughs> right? Like we, we want our love to be... To fit into our little lives as as easily as possible. No rough edges. No problems. I want love to only have to be given to people who deserve love. And that is because I actually love me more than I love others. I don't want to have to love people who are hard to love. If only you knew how many times I've had that conversation with people. And in the mirror. If love does not default to the rights and positions, if Jesus had demanded his position, we would be damned. The degree of Christ's willingness to let go of rights and positions is powerfully depicted in one amazing moment near the end of Christ's life on earth to the final meal Christ is having with his disciples and they've rented a room. The custom in Palestinian culture, we've talked about this when we broke into John, is before you eat a meal, there would be a servant and a basin in the room and your feet would be washed. That was just a cultural custom. And there's a reason for that. If you were reclining on couches as you were eating, feet were at the height of the head. And it's important for them to be clean. But there was no servant because this was a rented room. The disciples were so busy discussing who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom and jockeying for the closest seat next to Messiah that they didn't have any time to think about the water and the basin. And shockingly, everyone ate with dirty feet. That's a cultural no-no. And at the end of the meal, what does Jesus do? He gets up. He takes off his cloak, his robe, like a servant. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, gets down on his knees and washes the feet of the disciples, too arrogant to be concerned about doing that for him or any of their friends. The scripture tells us that Jesus wasn't forgetting who he was. It says he knew he was God, and so he did this. 
He did this precisely because he was the Messiah. And then he looks at us and says, what I have done for you, you do for one another. Next fill in the blank. Here's what love is. If you love somebody or someone, there is no action, no calling so low, so debased that you would refuse to do it. That's love. There was nothing beneath your Messiah. There was nothing that he was not willing to do in order to purchase your redemption. Fifth, I know we're going long. We're almost to the end. Love is by its very essence forgiving. Look, the core of the cross is the forgiveness that it purchased. And perhaps this is the dark secret that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps the reason we don't love as Christ has called for us to love is because we aren't willing to forgive as Christ has forgiven. And so I carry thoughts of condemnation. I rehearse people's failures in my head. Anyone else do that? You just expect it of them, right? They're losers. They don't deserve my love. I keep records of wrong in moments of gossip. I share sin and failure of someone with somebody else. Listen, it's very hard to be loving towards someone in a moment of condemning them. I want to be honest with you this morning. I do think that unforgiveness is in the way of this call to love. And there are some of you in here that need to forgive your parents, your siblings, your friends, because true love is forgiving. Sixth, true love isn't deterred by the extent of the call. Let me break that down. True love isn't deterred by the extent of the call. I'm amazed as I read scripture how zealous God is in the initiative to love. How even in the face of difficulty, he will not turn from it. You see throughout the Old Testament, right? All the time, people continually turn from God. And you expect God at any moment to be like, enough! I'm done. I'm leaving. But he doesn't. Prophet after prophet is sent. And God's people are too rebellious to hear. But God does not relent. Jesus is sent. The Bible says he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But God does not relent. As Jesus is ascending, the world's best teacher, his disciples are still asking inappropriate questions. But he does not relent. And he looks at us broken and fallen and stumbling and often lost at where we are. He does not relent. He will not turn from his love. Hallelujah. How quickly do you turn from your love for one another? How quickly do you drop an initiative to love and pick up the initiative of anger? I'd rather be frustrated. How easily tired do you get and reason that it's okay for you to punch out from your calling to love? How soon does it become okay for you to become a fish on a leash? Finally, love by its very nature. True biblical love by its very nature. This is your last, this is your third last fill in the blank. True very love by its very nature, nature is incarnational. It's incarnational. Okay, that's a big word. Look at this interesting statement in verse 12. 
No one has ever seen God. Why do you put that in there? If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. There is something magnificent that's being pictured in this verse. How is it that we come to see a God who is invisible? We come to see that invisible God. And this is what, this is your next fill in the blank. We make that invisible God visible as we incarnate his love to one another. As you love one another, you make an invisible God visible to a broken and lost world in need of a savior. Nothing is more radical than to love what we've been called to. And when we live in that love, we argue for the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that's very powerful. You see, when you love, when you take up that call to love, when you begin to give yourself to cruciform love, you are not just speaking the gospel. You are doing the gospel in a world that you've been placed in. It's the ultimate argument for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how are you receiving the call call this evening? Maybe you're saying, thinking, AJ, this is hard. If you're thinking that, you're in a good place. This is hard. And this call to love ought to produce in us, all of us, a deep awareness that we need God. That we cannot do this on our own. I can't tell you how scared I've been to preach this really since I first heard this around August. Because I'm too weak to. This call to love should drive us to the place where love is best defined. It should drive us to the cross of Jesus. That we need Him. We cannot love the way we ought without Him. If we just shoot arrows like a naked baby. We make it up along the way. Rewrite poetry that makes no sense. We call it love. Listen. This should fill you in the midst of your neediness. It's the last one in the blank. I want you to walk away with this tonight. The grace of the cross, of that cross, is that it's not just your forgiveness. It's your power. The grace of that cross is that it's not just your forgiveness. It's your power. The cross is not just addressing your guilt. It's addressing your inability to love. That cross is meant to give you the potential to love in ways you couldn't have loved before you came to know Jesus. Be comforted that God, who is love, now lives inside of you by His love to empower you to love. That cross, again, is not just your forgiveness, it's your power. Now what does that mean? That means that there are some of you in the room this week that need to quickly seek out forgiveness. We need to seek forgiveness for being rebels against God's created design and commit ourselves today, tonight, tomorrow morning, the following morning, when we forget and we're reminded sometime around Wednesday night that we need to build our life around this idea that the cross best exemplifies love and how do I play that out? We need to seek forgiveness in people, of people in our lives. 
Look, there are some of you tonight that need to say to your parents, I've made your life hard. And it's because I've been selfish and self-absorbed. And I haven't loved you as I ought to love. Please forgive me. There are friends in here that need to restore relationships with one another. And say, I gave up on you because I was unwilling to love you in the way that God called me to love. Please forgive me. Why? Because the revival of forgiveness will result in a new expression of love amongst us. Maybe you're here and you've never experienced the grace of God of love. And maybe for the first time in your life you've heard this beautiful story of love and you say, AJ, I'm one of those people. I'm so discontent and so dissatisfied. And I would welcome you right now. Bow your head and say, God, I need your help. Please forgive me. And please, by your love, accept me into your family. I want to be part of this kingdom of love. Why? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. By this, if you have, take a guess, love for one another. That love must shape itself to no lower standard than the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for that, we need the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Oh Lord, how great and grand and marvelous is your love. We sit before you, needy this evening, but not afraid. We run to your grace. We rest in your grace. We receive your grace so that we would love as you have loved. In Jesus' name, amen.